Welcome to Codecasts, a podcast series presented by the International Cyanide Management Institute, or ICMI. This series provides our listeners with useful information about the International Cyanide Management Code to help you understand the code's compliance requirements and expectations. Each Codecast episode is designed to supplement the training and guidance materials that you can find on the Cyanide Code website. If you'd like to access these materials, such as the standards of practice we refer to, please go to www.cyanidecode.org. In this Codecast, we will discuss the Cyanide Code's expectations for decommissioning of cyanide facilities. These expectations can be found under Principle 5 of the Cyanide Code, in Standards of Practice 5.1 and 5.2, so it can be useful to have those standards to hand as you listen. You can also find more information on the resources referenced in this episode in the show notes. Today, let's start by getting clear on what decommissioning means, because it has a narrow application when it comes to the cyanide code. Here, the term decommissioning applies specifically to cyanide facilities, as Standards of Practice 5.1 and 5.2, and we will discuss those two standards in more detail shortly, make clear in the context of the cyanide code. It does not apply to the closure of mine pits, roads, or other non-cyanide facilities, such as equipment maintenance shops. Decommissioning of cyanide facilities typically includes activities such as equipment decontamination, removal of residual cyanide, neutralization of process solutions, and rinsing of heap leach pads. But it does not apply to many overall site closure activities, such as reclamation and deconstruction, over the entire facility. It is important to keep this in mind. One common misunderstanding of the cyanide code is that what it has to say about the decommissioning applies to the closure of any mine-related site or facilities. While decommissioning is sometimes included in mine closure planning more broadly, the code is very clear on this matter. Principle 5 of the cyanide code, as we will discuss, calls to protect communities and the environment from cyanide specifically through development and implementation of decommissioning plans for cyanide facilities. As mentioned earlier, there are two standards of practice under Principle 5. Let's start with Standard of Practice 5.1. Standard of Practice 5.1 calls for operations to plan and implement procedures for effective decommissioning of the cyanide facilities to protect human health, wildlife and livestock. In other words, The code expects mine operators to have a plan for removing and decontaminating cyanide in the processing facilities before beginning any closure activities that potentially involve demolition, alteration, remodeling, rebuilding, repurposing, or otherwise changing or removing the cyanide facilities. This is to protect both workers and the environment from harm at cyanide facilities that are no longer in use. Note that the focus here is on the decontamination of cyanide facilities and not the deconstruction of them, as might be expected in any final operational closure. The reason the code focuses on decontamination rather than deconstruction is to ensure that the decommissioning procedures prioritize removing or neutralizing any cyanide present, either as a solid or as a process solution, before any deconstruction activities are carried out. This helps ensure that any deconstruction activities or any repurposing of remaining facilities can be carried out safely. The code does not stipulate that the cyanide decommissioning plan must be a separate document from the closure plan. 
While many sites will have a separate, specific cyanide decommissioning plan which spells out the site's specific detail of cyanide decommissioning and its various stages, other sites will present their cyanide decommissioning plan as a section of their general closure plan. Either approach is acceptable. Whichever way you choose to present your plan, sites do have to have a plan for cyanide decommissioning before undertaking any of their general decommissioning work. For example, the first step in decommissioning of cyanide facilities for site closure is the need to use up the existing stocks of cyanide. This sounds like an obvious point, but cyanide stock rundown is surprisingly complex and needs to be carefully planned into the decommissioning stages. This is because many sites do actually need to use cyanide during the general decommissioning process. Sites will often process soil and historical ore and solution spillages in the surrounding plant environment in order to maximise gold recovery and possibly subsidise decommissioning costs before production activities finally cease. This means that sites will need to ensure that they have sufficient cyanide stock for this step to be successful, while also ensuring that they will not have significant amounts of cyanide left over. Cyanide decommissioning plans and procedures are also sometimes included in an operation's cyanide-safe working procedures, or its standard operating procedures, rather than in its closure plan. The advantage of doing it this way is that it makes it easier for cyanide decommissioning procedures to be spelled out as a set of structured tasks, based upon other processes that are already present in its safe working procedures or standard operating procedures. For example, an issue-based risk assessment process. So to sum up, Standard of Practice 5.1 requires sites to have cyanide decommissioning plans and procedures, but it is neutral about where exactly those plans and procedures are presented. Two other important elements of Standard of Practice 5.1 are that it requires operations to include an implementation schedule in their decommissioning plan, and it also requires them to have a review process. Let's take these two points in turn. The implementation schedule does not have to be date-based. It may also be task-sequenced, with broad timings that are not necessarily tied to a specific start date. This flexibility is because many operations do not have a set date for closure and only identify a precise date quite late in the closure process. Broadly speaking, there are two ways of designing a task-sequenced, as opposed to date-based, implementation schedule. Some operations create a multi-year decommissioning schedule. Others create a more detailed 12, 9, 6, 3 or 1 month before closure schedule. Either way, it is important that the schedule ensures that the operation begins the cyanide decontamination and decommissioning process at a specified stage, like, for example, its start date for running down its cyanide stocks before closure. Standard of Practice 5.1 also requires a review process to accompany the decommissioning schedule. This is to account for the fact that processing operations change frequently as a result of expansions, contractions, modifications or upgrades to the operations. Leach pads are added, tailing storage facilities are raised or closed, new process circuits are built, or tanks added to existing circuits. 
Changes like this are likely to have an impact on the decommissioning schedule, so it is important to review and update the relevant cyanide decommissioning documents to ensure that they are up to date. There is some flexibility about how these reviews are managed, as the code does not require operations to adopt any specific review cycle. It simply calls for code auditors to apply auditor judgment on the review process, taking into account the age of the operation, the changes that may or may not have been undertaken, changes in planned decommissioning techniques and measures, and evidence of formalisation of review in plans and or procedures. A final point to make about Standard of Practice 5.1 is that it not only requires operations to have a procedure in place, but it also calls for that procedure to be implemented. In some contexts, it even calls for that procedure to be implemented prior to closure. When a part of a facility, such as a leech circuit, for example, is no longer necessary, it may need to be decommissioned. In this context, an operation would have to implement its cyanide decommissioning procedure even if the mine as a whole is not closing. So to recap, Standard of Practice 5.1 says that operations must have a cyanide decommissioning procedure in place. That procedure must include a schedule and be reviewed when required, and it must be implemented before the relevant cyanide-related facilities are closed, even if the mine itself is not closing. It also says that the decommissioning procedure should account for the various cyanide risks. Now let's look at Standard of Practice 5.2. Standard of Practice 5.2 focuses on the financial assurance and funding mechanisms for cyanide-related decommissioning. First, Standard of Practice 5.2 requires that an operation estimate the cost of the decommissioning measures identified in its cyanide decommissioning plan. This cost estimate should be based upon the current cost for a third party to implement the identified cyanide decommissioning activities. The key phrase here is third party implementation. The reason for basing the estimate on third party implementation rather than on operational implementation is that in the event that operations have to stop unexpectedly due to bankruptcy or a global pandemic, for example, site personnel and resources may not be available to participate in decommissioning. If this happens, the decommissioning work might have to be carried out by third parties, so it is important that the cost estimate take this possibility into account. Second, Standard of Practice 5.2 also requires that the estimated decommissioning costs should be regularly reviewed and updated. Specifically, it requires that cost estimates be updated at least every five years, or whenever the site undergoes operational changes that could potentially affect cyanide-related decommissioning activities or their costs. The addition of new tailings facilities, new leach pads or new processing facilities might warrant review and update of the decommissioning cost estimate. Finally, Standard of Practice 5.2 asks the mine to establish a mechanism for funding the estimated decommissioning costs. For some operations, establishing a funding mechanism is actually required by law. Many countries have already put in place regulations that require mines to establish a mechanism to fund closure plan costs, including cyanide decommissioning. These typically take the form of a formal trust fund or a mechanism involving a combination of bank guarantees and financial deposits. If the operation has met these legal requirements, 
then it is considered compliant with the Standard of Practice 5.2. However, in many countries there are no such legal requirements in place. In that case, the Cyanide Code requires an operation to establish an assurance mechanism that is capable of covering the costs of its cyanide-related decommissioning. This can take several forms. One option is that the establishment of a financial instrument such as a bond, letter or credit or insurance to the amount necessary to cover the identified costs of cyanide decommissioning. Another option is for the operation to demonstrate its ability to self-fund the costs of decommissioning cyanide facilities. However, if the operation wishes to take this route, it must meet several criteria. First, it must provide a statement of financial strength, a statement by a qualified financial auditor that the operation has sufficient financial strength to pay for the cyanide decommissioning costs. This statement must also be based on accepted financial evaluation methodology. Several examples of tests of financial strength used by environmental regulators in the USA or Canada are referenced in the Guidance for Use of the Mining Operations Verification Protocol and can be found on our website. Other financial evaluation methodologies are also recognised as long as they are accepted by professional financial auditors. The statement must be signed by a financial auditor and it must be accompanied by evidence of the signing auditor's professional certification. Please note that the general statements of company or operational finances, like those presented in company annual reports, are not accepted as evidence of financial strength. This concludes our Codecast on the Cyanide Code's expectations for decommissioning of cyanide facilities. We hope that this has given you a better understanding of the Code's basic expectations. Additional details of this topic may be found in ICMI's Guidance for Use of the Mining Operations Verification Protocol, which is available on the Cyanide Code website. If you have any questions on this topic, or would like to make any comments, suggestions, or requests for other topics to be covered, please send an email to us at info at cyanidecode.org.